Yesterday, uh, a woman named Lessie Randall turned 109 years old. Her birthday made the news, not because she's the oldest person, you'd have to be 117 or so to get that. Um, but when she was six years old, Lessie was living in a prosperous uh, black neighborhood in Tulsa when a white mob gathered outside the county courthouse because inside was held a young black man who was alleged to have assaulted a white woman. The rioters couldn't get at him, so they uh, decided to descend on his and Lessie's neighborhood. And in two days, it was gone. Uh, they killed almost 300 people. They burned 35 blocks into rubble and left 8,000 people suddenly homeless. Uh, Lessie survived because her grandma took her by the hand and frantically ran past dead bodies to get to a fairground where she would be safe. And now uh, she and the only other living survivor, a woman named Viola Fletcher, want the city of Tulsa to answer for that massacre. And state and city officials have said, hey, we cannot be held responsible for something that happened 100 years ago. But Alessi and Viola's case, and it's now going to court, point out that the city deputized men to join in the riot. Then they covered up what had happened, and no one was ever held responsible. No one who suffered loss was ever compensated for their losses. And by the way, the guy who was being held in the courthouse was exonerated. So anyway, it's been in the courts since 2020, and it may not get settled before Lessie dies. She says, I would like to see justice. It's past time. I would like to see this all cleared up and we go down the right road, but I do not know if I will ever see that. Friends, we live in a world of terror. A world where we all turn on the news and what do we see there? Innocent Israeli grandmothers kidnapped or killed. Innocent Palestinian children. I saw a photo montage of their faces and it was just hard, hard to bear. It, we live in a world where death comes daily, where bodies break down, where relationships break up. And if you're like me, you see all this and you just groan. You, oh. Don't we all long for something better? Now, some people look at all the mess, and they kind of give a cynical shrug. Kind of like, it's always been like this, it always will be. And I get that. There's a lot of evidence for that. Other people get mad, and they work, and they protest to make things better, and that's admirable. Uh, it truly is. And yet, there's also a reason why social workers and community organizers often burn out. It's because the closer you get to these things, the more you realize people don't always want to do the right thing. Institutions don't always want to do the right thing. So is there any hope? Is there any realistic hope? And as Christians, what do we have as our hope? What do we bring to this conversation? Living in the same world as everyone else. Well, where we start, all Christians start from a real historical event. It's as real as the astronauts landing on the moon. Although I guess some people think that's a hoax. <laughs> Maybe I should have used another analogy. Okay. <laughs> 
But Jesus of Nazareth, a poor rabbi, attested in history, was arrested by the Roman occupiers. He was tortured. He was executed by crucifixion. He was wrapped up, buried, and three days later, he started showing up. (laughs) He appeared to hundreds of people at the same time. There's no such thing as like 500 people, same delusion. He showed people the gash marks on his body. He ate pieces of fish. He was alive. And all Christians agree that that event changes everything, and that brings us hope. But what exactly is that hope? What do you and I have to look forward to? Now, over the years, Christians have painted two very different pictures of what that hope looks like. And these two pictures of the future don't completely mesh. Uh, They somewhat contradict each other. I don't think they could both be fully right. So I'm going to try to portray those for you. And which picture we choose turns out to make a big difference in how you and I live right now. Okay? So here we go. Picture number one is the most popular picture, and it's very well known. I will call it out out there. All right. Now, in this this picture of our future, the hope we have is out there. And I'm going to quote Sky Jatani here. Most modern Christians, he says, imagine heaven as a distant celestial realm. All right, so let's put the earth down here. Okay, earth. And somewhere out here, these are clouds, is a celestial place with, you know, nice, nice dwellings, okay? Mansions. And uh, the New Yorker cartoons always show a guy in a robe, barefoot, uh, with, with a halo. Uh, let's see, you get angels, right? Okay. And this guy has, like, a harp. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he wings. Yeah. All right. So it's a paradise, and yet it's far removed from this earth. Now, we get a lot of that, actually, from our, uh, some of our old-time gospel songs. I grew up singing When We All Get to Heaven. Some of you probably grew up with When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Uh, The well-known American theologian, Elvis Presley, (laughs) sang uh, Mansions Over the Hilltop. If any of you remember that gospel song that Elvis sang, which goes like this, that first, first verse, I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold, But in that city where the ransomed will shine, I want a gold one that's silver-lined. Which actually sounds like Graceland, which he built. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this picture up here does give hope, right? I mean, that's a better existence than this. But full disclosure, in order to get in there, you have to die. It's not now, it's then which is why the famous program called Evangelism Explosion includes this question. Here it is. If you were to die tonight and stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? It's 
kind of like a gated community. What would you say? Now, with this picture, number one, what is the hope and what is the good news about? It's, where, it's about where our souls will spend eternity after we die. And by trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, which we should, by the way, it can be a heavenly paradise. Now, how many of you would say this is or has been the predominant picture of the Christian's future hope that you have had or had growing up? Let's see a show of hands. So a vast majority. Yeah, right. It was mine. It was what I was taught and what I sang. Um, But I want to present another picture to you that I think is closer to what the early Christians actually preached when you read that in the book of Acts and other places. Uh, And over time, I've come to see a different picture of our hope as believers. And I'm drawing here on some of the insights of N.T. Wright and others. Um, But it's, it's like working with a different picture. It's like working off of a different map. Okay? When I was in sixth grade, our, our teacher, Mr. Mirga, was really into geography, so we would have a geography B. So what would happen is he would call two students up to the board where he had one of those giant pull-down maps of the world, right? And, and one would stand here and the other one would stand over there, and then he would call out a place and the first student to put his finger or her finger on that place on the map, won that round, and kept going. So he would say, Bay of Fundy, you know, and you're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, by the way, who knows where the Bay of Fundy is? Nova Scotia, okay. Nadine got the shout out, yep. Uh, highest differential in low tide and high tide in the world. Um, okay. But imagine that one day back in sixth grade, Mr. Mirga swaps out the map. And instead of the world map, he pulls down a world map, uh, the current one, instead of the current one, he pulls down one from the 1400s. Have you ever looked at one of those? Okay, so on that map, the coastline of Spain and England are like perfect. They could be today. And the rest is like a big, guessy blob. (laughs) It's called Asia or the Indies. And then there's maybe dragons in the ocean, you know, <laughs> out there. All right. So what, what I'm proposing tonight is that we update our map and go back to the scriptures and, and, and see what they have to tell us. Okay. So the picture number two, instead of out there, we'll call right here. Instead of us going to a place far away in order to be with God, God comes to us. We get this from Jesus himself, who's asked in our gospel reading tonight, when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Now that's just kind of a a passing question, but where is he returning to? He's returning to the place where he is right now. And he's standing on the earth when he says this. When the Son of Man returns, where is he returning? Earth. Or take the final book of the Bible, Revelation, which was in your first reading, if you want to turn there. John sees this spirit-given picture of our ultimate future. Verse 1, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. 
and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Okay, which way is the holy city coming? Down. It doesn't say, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and standing in heaven, and people were flooding up to it. I mean, it actually couldn't even be clearer than verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They'll be his people. God himself will be with them. Where is he with them? On earth. As the message translation puts it, Look, God has moved into the neighborhood making his home with men and women. Now this is, whoosh, our eternal life with God is on a renewed earth. Now, let, I can tell you a few things about it. Um, John says that this holy city that comes down is the same length, width, height. So what shape is it? A cube, a cube. yeah. Well, it can't literally be like 1,400 miles this way, right? But it's, it, it's a cube. And I'll tell you in a moment what he, what he means by that. And then the second thing he notices is that the holy city that's coming down out of heaven is made of pure gold. So what is John saying? John is saying something that everybody who first heard his letter read in those seven churches he sent it to would totally know. In the temple in Jerusalem, the most holy place, the place at the innermost sanctum called the Holy of Holies was where God's glory and presence dwelt. Okay? And it turns out that that Holy of Holies was the exact same length, width, and height. A cube. And guess what? Every surface of the walls in that space, every object in that room, ceiling, floor, was covered with what? gold. So John's saying, you know what's going to happen in our future believers? The presence of God will come to earth, and instead of that presence being open only to one high priest who gets in there one day out of the whole year, God will be accessible to every believer 24-7, unfiltered. You know, now we live this, this life where as Paul says, we see through this like cloudy filter. It's like a really bad phone call or it's like having a cataract or whatever. And then we're going to see God face to face. Amazing. Well, friends, our future, it turns out, is here. One study I read about recently asked Christians, when Jesus comes the second time, will he come to earth? 50% said yes. 25% said no, and 25% said, I don't know. Well, if that question ever gets asked of our church, I want us to get 100% on the test. The answer is yes, he's coming here. Now, let's say, what does this future hope look like where uh, Christ returns? Continuing our reading from Revelation verse 4, he will, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. So we'll live forever. No more sorrow, 
no more crying, no more pain. All that will be healed. Every trauma you've ever experienced will be healed. You will not carry that in the new creation that God brings about. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Everything new. What is something in your life that you go, that needs to be new? A health issue, a broken relationship, a financial strain. You need new. That's what God does. And almost as if he knows that it can be hard for us to believe it and take it in, he says to John, write this down. I make everything new. I want you to make sure you got that. And it's trustworthy. And it's true. Now, we get a little bit of an idea of what this making new will be like. It's all patterned on Jesus' resurrection. When Jesus rises from the dead, boom, the new has already started. And it's a model for all the rest that's going to be new. And notice that his old body is not replaced. It's renewed. It's the same but, but better. It's the exact same body that was crucified on Friday. It's the body that walks out of the tomb on Sunday morning. The exact same one. You can prove it. It's got the same scars. But now it's glorious. Now it's immortal. Now it will never die. Jesus' body can now enter a room that is locked. That's not a problem for him. His body continues on, but it's better. And the kind of body Jesus has is the kind of body we'll have. Now, can we really take in what that means? All the best parts of you will be recognizable, will be the same, but with none of the, the awful parts, <laughs> none of those aspects of things that are just debilitating and all that. You'll be the same, but you'll be better. And what's amazing is this change is going to happen to all created things. Paul teaches this in Romans 8, which was in your bulletin tonight. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children, us, in glorious freedom from death and decay. Just like we get a new body, it's not going to die. It's not going to run down. All creation's been groaning for that, at like a mom in labor, waiting for the moment when the creation will be made new. The earth is not going to be torn down. It's going to be given a fantastic makeover, remodel. All the good things about earth will remain. The stunning beauty of places like rainforests in the Grand Canyon. But without all the microplastics in the ocean. You know, it turns out that God's new world looks a lot like this one. He's invested a lot in this. But now there's this union of heaven and earth where we enjoy the constant glory of the unfiltered presence of God with immortal bodies on the beauty of a remade earth. Now, friends, if this is the first time you've heard this, <laughs> it'll take a while to take it in. Start reading uh, scriptures, and I welcome your emails. I think you're going to notice that this is the apostles, when they preach in Acts, they're not preaching, come to Jesus so that you will go to heaven when you die. They're going, repent because the world's under new management and Jesus is going to return and restore all things. Okay, now, so what? Does it really matter 
right? Which picture we hold. Well, it matters in a lot of different ways, which I won't have time to get into tonight. But I want to mention one. If our future hope is picture number one, where our souls join God out there, some work matters. If, on the other hand, God moves into here and is, remakes the earth and gives us new bodies, then all work matters. Stay with me here. With picture number one, it's generally taught with the sense of, imagine a big steamship. Okay, and lots of little those, right? And the idea is, this is going to sink. This is not going well. But there's a lifeboat that'll get you here, okay? But what if the ship's going to continue? What if Earth is a ship that's going to keep on sailing? As Sky Jatani writes, if eternity will be in a heaven occupied by souls and everything else will burn then what's the point of Christians creating art, repairing unjust institutions, or inventing vaccines? Therefore, with picture number one, some work matters, the work that cares for souls and focuses on heaven. So if you really want your work to count, you'll become a pastor or a missionary if that picture is the prevailing picture. Does that make sense how those go together? Okay. But, if we realize, as I believe the scriptures uh, actually teach, that we will reign with God on this earth, then all work matters. Work that cares for bodies matter because those bodies are going to continue on. They'll be renewed, but they'll continue on. The anointing Jesus received before he died from that woman, he said, that's so important to me, that'll be part of the gospel wherever my story is told. Work that cares for the earth matters we're going to live here a long time. <laughs> okay, it'll be remade. But let's make it a little easier on God. Work to address social injustice matters because in the new creation, and I'll get into this more next week, we'll have nations, cultures, leaders, all those things. They'll continue only better. Now, some years ago, I went and visited uh, friends of mine in Jackson, Mississippi. One was Spencer Perkins, son of the civil rights icon John Perkins. And the other was Chris Rice, who called himself a Connecticut Yankee. And uh, this makes me sad because Spencer's actually passed away since then. But anyway, when I got there, they showed me around. And in one part of Jackson, we were driving down this like boulevard and I remember all the houses were gorgeous. They were these huge brick homes set back from the street, huge shade trees, and every one of them had white pillars. They really looked, honestly, like they could have been a house on a plantation. Then we kind of took a turn and went down a hill and across some railroad tracks and there were a bunch of small Shotgun houses, right near the tracks, and every time the train went by, uh, windows rattled, right? They were just a couple feet from each other, and they saw this guy walking up the street, and so they 
pulled over and rolled down the window because they knew who he was. And they introduced me. He was the, the local drug dealer. And they were, uh, and for some reason, he felt the need to explain his career choice. So he says, I don't want my mama cleaning white people's toilets. Now, this is the world we live in now. A world of separation, a world of unequal opportunities, a world of pain, a world of drugs, a world of just loss. But in that neighborhood, Spencer and Chris's church started a thrift store which is bringing affordable goods and clothing to folks who don't have a store in that neighborhood otherwise and brings jobs. Then we drove to their home, and it turns out the two guys live in one home, lived, along with their wives and children, plus there was a single mom and her son. It was kind of a big old rambly house. And I think there was a guy just out of prison. The home had was a community, really. It had one refrigerator, it had one telephone, and had one checkbook. They were in it together. And as we sat down to dinner, we held hands for prayers, and it just felt to me like heaven had just come to earth. It was like the future was here at this table at this moment. It was like Jesus was saying, and the scriptures are fulfilled in your very hearing. Friends, I know many of you have hard things to carry, and I want you to be encouraged. This is not the end. There's a better world coming, and it turns out it looks a lot like the one we're on now. God is going to move into the neighborhood, and he's making everything new. Amen.